Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Full Pod, the podcast brought to you by the Foundation of Light. My name's Scott Noble, and I'm joined by Jazz Sin. Jazz, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Scott. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. It's, uh, it's good to get back to the, to the recording after, after obviously, March's episode with, with Paul and Shane. Um, it's probably going to be the only time we have, have a double whammy of guests on, on the podcast. Um, it was a bit of a special episode with the, with the two members of staff leaving, but today we're absolutely delighted to be joined by Jack Gray, who is head of the Player Development Programme. Jack, thank you very much for joining us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having us on. I'll no never take an, uh, an opportunity to talk about the foundation. That's good as always to, to speak to you. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Jazz now, and Jazz will get us started. Thanks, Scott. Welcome, Jack. You all right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Um, so just to start with Jack, what was your journey like? So leading up to the foundation of like, how did you find yourself in the seat you're in right now? <laughs> so I suppose it goes back to when I started coaching when I was 15. Um, so I started going through my, my coaching badges and delivering sort of grassroots club sessions for my local teams in Cranlinton before sort of deciding that I wanted to, to have a career in coaching. Um, then I ended up getting a job after sixth form working for Active Northumberland, but I'd applied for the foundation of like at the, at the same time. Um, so by the time I'd worked at Active Northumberland for about two weeks, I had a, an interview with, with Jamie Wright and Michael Havelock uh, in a school. Oh, for 30 kids. Shout out. Uh, 30 kids, put a session on, see what you're about. So delivered that and then got invited across to the stadium a, a week later and was really fortunate that they, they just sort of offered us a full-time job there and then. So 18, coming to work for, for a professional club's charity and in football full-time was a bit of a dream, really. And then was, fast forward five years, we're still here. Was Just before we move on to the other one, was, was coaching something you've always wanted to do since a kid or, or was it football at first and then... And then moving on to the different stages, or was it always involved in sport? What was the ambitions when you were like in primary and secondary? Um, I think like every young person, like dream of being a footballer. I suppose I knew really early that I was never going to be good enough. Um, so I, I got asked to help out with, like I say, at Cramlinton just one day by a bloke that I knew. Um, I was 15 and he, he just said, look, can you help out with the little ones and teach them some skills? And I had no intention of being a coach. I wanted to be a PE teacher. Um, but I'd done one one session and just sort of fell in love with it really. And like straight after that that one hour session, I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do, and sort of work towards that from here. Yeah. So you, you mentioned before, Jack, that you've been here for five years, but you you know you're still young. You're not as um, you're a lot younger than me. I know that much. Um, but yeah. with you being there for five years, you've obviously fulfilled quite a lot of roles over over that time. So how how do you feel you've developed over over those five years? Obviously, you've You've been a full-time coach, working in schools, but now you're, not, now you're head of a program and you're also a mentor and coach. So what's that process been like for you? Um, surprising, I would say. I think when I, when I came in, I suppose like the, the, the one big strength I think I bring to, to the foundation is probably just my enthusiasm. Um, it doesn't matter what, what role I take, what job I do day to day. Like I, I, I just love being here and I love trying to obviously make a difference and, and support the foundation and what we try to achieve within the community. So in terms of whatever job it's been doing, I suppose my enthusiasms helped us be a little bit successful along the way. Um, got a lot to learn still and a lot to, a lot to, a lot of work to do, but we'll just sort of keep going and 
yeah, I think without that enthusiasm, I probably wouldn't be fortunate enough to run the development program and um, talk about like lead on some of the culture stuff that we're, we're sort of brought into it and helping out with some mental health stuff as well. So that, I think that just that enthusiasm to obviously try and help us make a difference is the is the key thing for me. Just with it, um, sorry, Jazz, just to just to sort of build on that question as well with the enthusiasm, is that came with motivation as well because of the fact that you kind of took the player development program in a, in a different direction to where to where it was, which you know it doesn't mean to say that the development program was bad in any sort of way. It was just you you seeing it in a different sort of light, and obviously you've managed to to grow and develop that in your own way, and you've took coaches with you in that sense. Yeah, I would say so. Um, when I took the development program over, it was I was fortunate where I've took a program over that was already in a good place. So it was just sort of trying to build on the good work that was was left over, really. So Dips had obviously built up a, a program that had around 250 players um, across several sites. There was a girls' site. So then it was about, right, what can we do next? What can we do to take it to the next level? Uh, have we achieved that yet? No, absolutely not. But I think it, it serves a good purpose within the community and within local football. So... Uh, hopefully in the next sort of 18 months to two years we can we can take that to the next level again but yeah I think just my motivation for coaching young people probably helps help that passion for developing it and that that drive if you like and that motivation like you said Real. I think one thing you touched on there in terms of your enthusiasm and this goes throughout the organisation something that I've found um, since I started was that a lot of the personnel in within this place start off as enthusiastic and then they learn along the way and if you've got the right, you've got the right mentality, and you're open to learning, um, and you feel secure in knowing that you don't know everything, um, this organisation really looks after you in the sense that they'll give you experiences and they'll give you opportunities to learn, and then you develop from that. And I think that's what you were saying in terms of you came in very enthusiastic, but that was the perfect starting point. That's the starting point you're meant to come in from. So, and you and you and you've took on from that. Speaking about um, the PDC, which you're very clearly passionate about, how have you? I think you've basically you've touched on it, but how have you grown from that? Um, and where do you see that going in the next 2023? Where do you see the PDT at in the next two years? Good question. Um, in terms of how we've how we've developed it and how we've grown it, we've we've introduced a, a sort of a tiered system to it. So for those that don't know, we have the player development centres, which is sort of like the entry level, but it's an invite only. So if we see a talented player in a school session or a holiday course um, out playing grassroots games, we'll invite them into the player development centres and we'll obviously fit that around their grassroots commitments so we don't take them away from their club, whoever they play for, and obviously just try to help them develop as an individual more than anything. And then the next level up from that, if you're sort of excelling and developing really well within the PDC or the development centre, you might get invited into our performance centre, which is on a on a Friday night at the Beacon. So that's sort of like the the cream of the crop, if you like, for the younger players. And that's where that sort of like that 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 tiered systems came in. In terms of where we're gonna take it, um sort of always trying to think of new things to do. So I suppose the first thing we've done is develop a curriculum that the, the coaches work to that is quite heavy technically to help the players develop their, their technical ability with and without the ball. Um, we, we see that as probably the difference between the academy players and our players. So if we can help bridge that gap, then we can obviously help, um, help the club 
get hopefully more good young players in, but just sort of help the community have have a better standard of football. Um, where do we see it going? I would like to have more performance centres. I would like to have a more in-depth curriculum off the pitch. So giving the players opportunity to learn away from the grass, whether that's with workshops delivered by us. Um, that probably came from the Zoom stuff. So we spent a long time in the lockdown doing Zoom sessions. So whether that was skill sessions in the living room, but then we try to get creative. So we've done workshops around uh, having a growth mindset, developing confidence, um, video analysis. I would like us to to bring that into their, their programme now. So they still get their, grass, their training on the grass, but what else can we offer them to, to develop them as people as well as players? Um, and I suppose there's probably scope potentially to look at potentially creating like a representative team out of out of the development programme who could either play in a league or they could play against other clubs. Uh, it's something we've, we've looked at in the past and we've done it in stages. So we've had Lincoln City and Doncaster Rovers come up to the beacon and, and play games against us, which was a brilliant experience for the kids. Um, but that, that's something that I'd like to make more regular once we we move out of sort of the lockdown phase and, and get them on the grass more regularly. Sorry, Scott, just something that I've um, always wondered and always been intrigued by really is is thinking about like, how do you, and this is a question really, probably foundation wide, but specifically for you, Jack, is how do you like connect the parents? Because I know a lot of, um, I've always thought that the younger the child is, the parents need to be 100% on board. And then obviously you'll get the child buy-in and then as the older they get, you start transitioning to like 50-50 and then you go like 70-30 to the, to the actual individual rather than the parent side or the guardian side. So how do you, from the PDC, um, keep the parents in tune, if you like, and, and, and um, motivate to keep bringing their child and um, seeing the bigger picture? So basically, yeah. what's the parental involvement? Yeah, um, I think you have this in football quite a lot, don't you, where the, coach, the coaches tend to have to battle with the parents. I think for us... You have to work with the parents, otherwise you're fighting a losing battle regardless. So if we want them to come to our programme and we we ignore the parent and we, we bin them off, if you like, then you, you've, you've lost the kid already because the, the parent makes the decisions, unfortunately. Um, so I think for us, like the things we can do is manage the parents' expectations about what the programme is. So yes, we wear the badge, but we're the foundation of light. We're not the academy. We're here to help your child, regardless of who they are, how old they are, what gender they are, what race they are. Um, if they've got some talent in football, we want to help them. And that's what the programme's there for. If, if they're really pushing and excelling and we think they need to be looked at by the academy, then we do everything we can to push that. Um, whether that's myself talking to coaches at the academy or scouts or trying to organise games. Um, we played a game against the academy last weekend, which was superb. So the opportunities are there. And I think as long as you, the parents see you're trying to give the kids opportunities and you manage that expectation, then you're on to a winner. Um, and I suppose the most important thing is if the, if the kids love it, if the kids love coming to see you and coming to your sessions, that's half the battle. Like if a parent, if the, if the kid comes off the pitch at the end of the session and goes, mom, I absolutely love that today, they're going to bring them back. Um, so using the child and making sure the child loves the environment and the, what you give them will, will only help sort of manage the parents as well. Great stuff. I, I know you love talking about the PD, uh, PDP, Jack, but we're going to have to move on, I'm afraid, because uh, 
as you know, my data is going to run out. So, um, <laughs> just talking about the culture group now, I know you did mention it briefly before, but um, it's probably something actually that some staff members are um, maybe not aware of it as, as much as others. So, do you want to just take us through, first of all, what is the culture group and, you know, what is the purpose behind it as well? Yeah. Uh, so, the culture group was set up just sort of over a year ago. Um, it was set up by Jamie to sort of steer and come up with a, a an organisational culture, if you like. So we probably all see sports teams who have a, a culture, if, if you like. So the, the All Blacks is the, the best example, isn't it, where everyone knows what the All Blacks are about, what their behaviours are, what their beliefs are, what their values are as a, as a, as a team. So I suppose our thoughts was to, to create something like that that will help the foundation move forward. Um, so we had we set up a working group that looked to develop the culture from different departments and see if we could create a, a foundation of like culture. Um, so the idea was to create that and roll it out to the staff. But the working group was made up of people from every department where everybody understood what it looked like for each department. So sport and play looks very different to education. So, but what we want is that that one team approach across all departments. Um, so that was rolled out to sort of drive the, the standards within the business, if you like, in terms of staff. And it's an internal thing. Um, so just an example is like one of our statements, if you like, one of our beliefs as a foundation is to put the foundation first. Now, that doesn't mean put the foundation over your family. That doesn't mean put your foundation over your kids. But it's like, the foundation of light is your, is your job. And that, that means putting that above your voluntary commitments, because if we all steer that in the right direction and, and give a hundred percent to our, to our day job, then there's nothing the foundation can't achieve within the community. And the, the sort of benefits the community will see from that. If we all buy in and drive, that will be unimaginable. Um, so that was the idea behind it. If you like. Where, sorry, just the last bit of that is where do you see it going moving forward? Um, I think that the challenge is, as a culture group, is to make sure that all new staff understand what the foundation's culture is, what, what, what our beliefs are, um, and the benefits of that. I think going forward, the culture group is going to have a, a few different sort of tasks and challenges, and that's some things that we want to look at is um, improving, improving the workplace for the staff as well. So how do we... How do we make this like the best possible place to work for staff, whether you're at the beacon or at an outreach site? How, how can we make can we make it an environment where everybody loves coming to work to do their job and, and makes a difference? Um, and I suppose we would like to probably review what this culture looks like and how it so what it looks like to the public without it being a, an external thing. So whether you're a parent on the PDC, like what is your perception of the foundation of life staff, whether you're, if you're a scholarship parent or a scholarship player, if you're someone who comes into a back in the game course, like what is your perception of the foundation? And if we can get that right, then we'll, we'll only keep moving forward, I suppose. Hmm. No, brilliant. And I think um, here's another two shout out. Shout out to Danielle Cowan and Jamie Kay for putting me on it by accident, but it's something to be really good. <laughs> really, um, I'm really happy to be involved in because it gets gets the word out and, and, it, and it makes you understand 
business wide because it's very easy to do and it's hard to get away from that when you're stuck in your little department which is perfectly fine you focus on your department you forget about everybody else wider um and i think that i worked really I'm, I'm thinking it worked really really well in terms of i think as an organization and you guys have been here long enough the same as me to understand that we've always been built on the people so it's always been really fun we've always got on really well and then you did the graft as well and you were pulling together as a team you did it for each other um, and, and you all liked each other and things like that. It was like a little, it was like a little team you all had. But especially over the last year, year and a half, when we've been separated from each other, but still had them KPIs and targets. You've lost the, you've lost the momentum of like you're doing it for your friends and such, because you don't see them anymore. Um, so you kind of just seen it as a as a standard job, which job's still enjoyable. But the the, the importance of it and the, and the joy of it came from like working together as a, as a bit of a full family. Um, and I think with the culture group now, especially we can bring that all back together and get that out there, especially now we're all coming back um, and we're getting together again. So, yeah, and it's, and it's good to see you drive that, Jack, and, and keep it consistent. Um, a final question, we'll not keep you any longer than this. Um, I know that mental health is very close to your heart um, and it's something that you're a big advocate of. Um, can you tell us about what you would recommend in order to be as mentally healthy as possible? So any staff listening to this um, that, that might be going through anything that they don't really want to share, which is fine. Um Publicly, what what avenues would you would you recommend to go down and and support? Good stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that I, I care about quite passionately. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that's easy to easy to sort of brush over your mental health. Um, so when 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 you've got a physical health problem, you go and see someone about it. But then when it's a mental health sort of bad day or an, an issue that you're going through, like you, people tend to bottle it up, and that shouldn't happen. Um, one thing that I suppose myself and some of the other guys have been really driven towards to, to, to help ourselves over the past year is the, the five ways to well-being. Um, so if you don't know what these are, these are sort of like, it's a bit like your, your fruit and vegetables, your five a day. Um, and it's sort of scientifically proven that if you, if you look to use these five ways to well-being, that it'll improve your mental health. So especially when over the last year where we've been isolated a little bit more than we should have been. And um, this is sort of, sort of the sort of things that have, that have helped me. So the five ways are number one is to connect. So I know our people, when, when we're sat at home, it's easy to forget to talk to people and, and not connect with your friends, your family or your, your work colleagues. Uh, so make sure that you, you connect with people as much as possible, check in on people, check in that they're okay, make sure that they'll ask you that you're okay and just, uh, that's a big one for me. So I spend a lot of time talking to people from work or away from work. Another one is to be active. So everyone knows how you feel brilliant after exercise, whether that's a run, a walk, a bike ride, anything. So I'd encourage you to, to get out and be active every day, uh, whether that's before work, on your lunch break, feel free to go for a walk and, and freshen yourself up or after work. Another one is to give. So we all know that, that giving, giving to people makes you feel good. So can you offer someone a cup of tea in the office? Can you offer someone a cup of tea at home? And just, just that little act of kindness and, and selflessness is, it produces a good feeling. Uh, another one's to take notice. So I know I'll, I'll give Joey a shout out here because I, I haven't talked about my little best mate yet. But um, Joey's brilliant at taking notice. So every day, whenever he, whenever he goes for a walk, he leaves his phone at home and he just sort of loves taking notice of the environment around him and, and actually enjoying where, where we live and, and what we do and think I like that little bit of thinking time is, is really good. Um, and the last one is just to sort of keep learning. So I think especially when we've been isolated, you can find yourself in that same routine of, 
I'll do my work in, in that room and then I'll go and I'll have, I'll have a drink of my tea and I'll, I'll watch the telly. But actually, can you go and find something that you, you're passionate about, whether it's work-related or not, and just go and learn about it? Just keep your mind engaged and, and keep yourself sort of fresh. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my sort of, my advice is to keep yourself mentally, mentally well over the next few months. Great stuff. Some great advice there, Jack. Um, it's pivotal that, especially now, I know it's, it's a very cliche thing to say, but in these times of uncertainty, I know we're, we're, not, we're starting to get back to some sort of normality, but it's pivotal that we do share share things with each other. And even if you can't share, uh, obviously taking the advice from what Jack said there, five ways to well-being, um, I think it's it's a great way to look at, look at it. Um, hopefully, um, scientifically proven, as you said, Jack, so no doubt it, it will help you. So, um, great stuff. Um, it's a great way to end the, the episode, actually. So, thank you very much for your time, Jack. Uh, it's been it's been great to speak to you. Obviously, I, I've known you for a, a while now, but it's it's great to speak to you um, informally and formally and to obviously get an understanding of what your role looks like and how things change in, in the business and personally. So, thanks for your time. My pleasure. If anybody wants to see us, I'm, uh, I'm in the sport and play block. Come and say hello. I'm looking <laughs> for a coffee or a tea anytime. Well, Jack brings the biscuits. I've yeah. loads of biscuits. Should see my well, draw. I will. I will say this, Jack. By the time this recording comes out, everybody will probably have gone home. So, um, <laughs> be able to see you on Monday. But uh, no, yeah. brilliant. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, obviously, cheers. Cheers again, Jazz. Um, no problem. Co-host. Um, done a great job as always. So great stuff. I think we'll uh, we'll make it a common thing where we'll we'll drop shout out in every every episode now. I just. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out out Jack for this one. Thank you very much. (laughs) Great stuff. Um, So, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, Make sure you listen to obviously the previous episode with Paul and Shane and future episodes. So, we'll see you again in May's episode. Thanks everyone. Bye.